0: Hey everyone, Lola here. It's December 8th, 2022, and it's also Latina Equal Pay Day. I felt since it's such an important day that I would actually go back and repeat episode two, which is a conversation that I had with Iber Regalado. She is the founder and CEO of Our Wild Success. She's a Latina career coach and really just frankly an an amazing woman, introspective and using her experiences to then propel other Latinas forward. So in the conversation, we discuss our experiences, our trials and tribulations at work, higher education, etc., and really how to propel Latinas forward now that we have some information in our vaults. So I feel like it's perfectly fitting. Just also keep in mind that this is episode two of my podcast. It was still called The Creative Advocate at the time. It is, of course, The Latina Advocate now. And if you'd like to follow us, make sure you go to Instagram Instagram. And it's the at symbol and then the Latina Advocate podcast. Thanks so much and happy listening. Every person I've ever met cares deeply about something, whether it be women's rights, access to the voting booth, the freedom to believe in a God or the universe, even their child's education. And oftentimes when advocating for these causes, people find themselves depleted, full stop. Is it possible for us to create the world of our ideals from a place of lack? Well, what if we flip the script? What if we can shift our focus from what we don't want to what we do want? What if we can create the world we want from a place of joy and love instead? Finding the nuance in this shift is a lifetime practice And that is what this podcast is here to discuss and investigate. My name is Lola Sophia Bovell, and I am the host of the Creative Advocate Podcast. Today's podcast is with a beautiful soul I met back in undergrad at the University of Florida, Yvette Regalado. Go Gators! Yvette is the founder and CEO of Our Wild Success, where she serves as a career coach, empowering Latinas to show up fully at the workplace. In this episode, we discuss the challenges and opportunities that exist for Latinas everywhere, from higher education to the corporate sector, and what we can all do to create equitable spaces. Take a listen. All right, well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Here I have a dear friend, and I say dear friend because we haven't spoken actually in many years, but uh, she's someone that I connected with back in college at University of Florida, and she was just always near and dear to my heart, uh, always a wonderful soul. And so I'm just really happy to have her back and catch up with all of you here as well. So this is Yvette Regalado, who is founder and CEO of Our Wild Success, uh, she has a fourteen-year corporate career. has worked for a variety of different organizations, including Univision, and really has a passion for empowering Latinas in the workforce. So I was just really excited, especially with Latino Heritage Month coming right up, uh, to speak with her. But as you know, anyone that really knows me well knows that this is something that is a core passion of mine as well. So I'm just extremely excited to bring her on. So without further ado, Yvette, hi
1: lola i'm so happy to be here i also consider you a wonderful wonderful dear friend i am excited to reconnect to let you know what has been going on in the last 15 years and how i am not at all shocked that after so many years you and i are our paths have re have met again um and doing you know similar mission driven work for this reason to help empower latinas across the board. So I'm very, very happy to to, to be here with you. Oh,
0: wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Yvette, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey. So tell us, uh, you know, what's been going on for the last 15 years. So I know you, we were at the University of Florida at the same time. I think we were the same year, 2003 to 2007. Is that right?
1: So we, since you last saw me, (laughs) when I graduated the University of Florida, I graduated with a Spanish degree. And I knew that when I was going to use my liberal arts degree that I was hoping and praying wish she would like, help pay some bills someday, um, I knew that I wanted to go into public relations. And so that's really where the journey begins. I have always worked in the Latino, Hispanic, um, Spanish language first marketing space. So I started in a PR that eventually transitioned into advertising. So always agency work. For many, many years, I worked between Miami and, and New York in the agency space. And then my last stint was, as you mentioned, at Univision. And there I ran a the corporate marketing team. So that was my my only really in-house role. But throughout the journey, there were some constants, right? Right. Like. We're talking about working in the Hispanic or Latino market. So, advertising, PR, marketing in general is a very female. It's one of the few industries, but it it is one of the industries that is um, there's a strong female woman presence when you're talking about Hispanic marketing. Ninety percent are Latinas. Mm. So, some patterns in when we talk about women in the workforce. My experience, I believe, is very unique because I don't. I didn't really battle this feeling inferior to white people, not, 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 not feeling seen in the room, not being, you know, viewed as the same that I didn't, I had instances of that for sure within the client space, but like in my day to day, um, and the people that I worked with were majority Latinas, but I saw a lot of similarities. Despite that, I'm talking about two different markets, right? Like Miami and New York are culturally very different. And when we're talking about nationalities, so I've worked with a lot of women who are, either they themselves or their families are from Mexico, from Colombia, um, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, obviously Cuba. So I understand that the nuances, right, of our culture and our nationalities, but in the workplace, a lot of constants across the board that I recognize now held a lot of people back. So, for example, the need to always ask for permission for everything. (laughs) For everything. (laughs) And And I say this, first of all, let me take a step back. I say this as somebody who entered the workforce very young, very green, very eager, very motivated, but no real professional guidance right like my parents could not help me how to navigate an office corporate setting they had never worked in that in that environment i didn't i didn't have older siblings that could also pave the way in that environment um what i knew was limited to my inner immediate inner circle and that was it so for everything when you've been groomed to think mm. right right mm. <laughs> Yes, right. So this stuff is this stuff is deeply rooted. So I, I, I understand that I understand the need to um, defer to authority at all times when you're sitting in a meeting, not wanting to be the what the first one to speak, because there are people that are more senior to you more important, and I say that in quotes to you, and that you should wait for them to speak up, um, not negotiating, I have hired as I grew in my career. I interviewed, I became a hiring manager, I would interview with a lot of Latinas, and you know, the majority did not negotiate. So no, and and me, you know, once I got to the other side of things, knowing that actually companies expected to, I expected so many of them to. So there were a lot of things that I saw along the way that I myself was guilty of doing at some point because of all of this cultural baggage that we have and then when I would see others doing it I would get frustrated think no but why 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 do you stay quiet you have a brilliant idea why not bring it up why not advocate for yourself why not push for that promotion why wait your turn when you've been waiting your turn for however long so it there was a defining moment, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But along the way, I just saw a lot of, like I said, patterns that were just seen as status quo and business as usual. And I just really, I really thought to myself, well, what can? When is this going to change? Because if we don't change it, the ones coming behind us, they're gonna, they're gonna continue on the same path. So that's really where where the rubber meets the road, where I I just saw that there were some things that we could definitely start doing differently, but who's gonna be the one to say it?
0: Yes, yes. So Yvette, um, I love all of this. I have several questions for you right now, like just from what you were Mm -hmm. saying, but I'd love to just kind of take it even further back. I know, you know, we know each other from being Gators together, but tell us a little bit about where you're from, your childhood experience, your parents, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what, you know, the foundation of Iver Regalado, what that foundation looked like?
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. Bueno, Iver Regalado, super duper proud Cuban American. I come from the wonderful city of Hialeah, Florida, because when you're from there, you're very proud to be from there, but that is a working class for many low income neighborhood, right? Like my, my parents, we lived in that neighborhood because for many especially coming from Cuba, that's where they got their start because that's where the factories were. And my parents worked in factories. My, my grandparents worked in factories. And then from there, you know, they grew financially to a certain degree, but we always stayed in, in the neighborhood. And so that's always been what I know. I know I grew up in a very Spanish-dominant household. My community was very important to me. Everybody around me looked like me, talked like me, dressed like me, danced like me. So I did grow up feeling very rooted in my culture, both being Cuban and American, but feeling very connected to my Latinidad because that's all I knew. And then when I got to college, right, Gainesville is not necessary, at least not at the time, (laughs) was not very Latina friendly. And the way that you and I connected is because we both joined Latina sorority. So we were in Greek life, but from a multicultural perspective. And that was always true for me. Like I always felt most comfortable with my people amongst those who have an understanding of not just my culture, but like the shorthand, right? Like there are certain things that you can say in confidence without really knowing each other, but like the culture connects you and and you're able to, to, to bond easier in that way. That's just always been the story of my life. So the foundation for me is knowing not just where I come from, but what my mission is. And that is to serve others like me, Mm. which is another reason for why I joined the sorority that I did, because I understood that when I graduated, yes, I have goals, right? Of like the whole purpose of going to college was to get a better job than my parents had. That's, that's the way that I, I went to school to be successful, to be the the success story of my family. But I also recognize, well, who's going to teach me how to do that when nobody in my immediate family can? And I don't really feel as comfortable because I'm not used to being in white surroundings. So I think joining an organization of women, ambitious women like me, will be what can help me once I leave this university. And that's just been really like how I've managed my whole life. So like I said, I left Gainesville, and and I, I feel like, and maybe you can relate to this. I had a very Latina experience in college, although it's a very white school. Mm-hmm. But I had a very Latina experience. I was in Hispanic Student Association, Cuban American Student Association, Latina. So like, my you know where we hung out was like the Latino spot, you know, like on campus. <laughs> so that, that, that like transferred into my my personal life, that transferred, that transferred to my career. That's also why I I always knew that I wanted to work in Hispanic marketing, because I wanted to speak to my people. I wanted to be able to, I wanted my career to be in line with everything that I had already known to begin with. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. It's funny that you say all this too, because I felt the same way, you know, I think, when we think of Gainesville, it, it's historically a you know very Caucasian institution, uh, not thought to be an institution that really caters to minorities. However, I would say you know we had a very strong sub community within the mm-hmm. University of Florida, and so it did feel like home. Like we would hang out at La Casita. We had you know, like you said, all these different organizations that we could be a part of and, and the sororities, et cetera. And, and so that was really a nice home base. It's funny because when I went, so I, um, I went to the University of Wisconsin Law School um, and they had a chapter of Lambda Theta Alpha, that's the sorority I'm a part of um, there in Wisconsin. And it was funny because it, I mean, it's not funny, but I remember it was such an isolating place to be in Madison, Wisconsin. And the only time it's actually I had a xenophobic experience there, and this is in knock Wisconsin. I have a lot <laughs> of love for Wisconsin. There's a lot of great things about Wisconsin, um, but it, you know, I just acknowledging my experience there. I was once kind of walking in the common area of the law school, and I was speaking Spanish to a peer that was actually an international student, and a another student a peer yelled speak English across the um, the kind of general area. And, you know, I had never experienced, maybe like implicit, uh, you know, nuance things, you know, microaggressions and things like that. But I had never experienced someone saying, you know, your language is not welcome here. You are not welcome here. And it was such an affront for me. Um, and I just remember thinking to myself, this is why Latina sororities exist right here. It's because in these spaces, it's just really you, you know, there wasn't another Puerto Rican for miles. I mean, I actually was approached by fellow law students saying, you know, I've never actually gone to school with a person of color, and it's been really amazing um, to hear you speak up in class. And it was just like, what? This is wild. So, anywho, I say all this because I think you're absolutely right that, like, there was a certain amount of protection in Gainesville and a certain amount of protection at the <laughs> University of Florida. And when I when I actually ventured out even further is when I really, when I realized, oh, what I had in Miami and what I even had in Gainesville is not normal. <laughs> the majority yeah. of the country is actually more represented, uh, you know, maybe in that Madison, Wisconsin experience. And mind you, Madison is actually probably a lot more diverse than the rest of the state being the capital of, of the state. Anywho, I just think it's very, very important um, that we create spaces. And we have mentorship where Latinas and all people of color can thrive. And that's why I'm so grateful you are doing what you are doing. So thank you, Yvette. It's so, so important.
1: Thank you for saying that. But to add to that, I friend I the conversation of telling the story of your of our experiences. Because what I find is so much of the struggle that our generation is going through is because of the lack of information. And not because others before us didn't. Go, it's not like you're the first Puerto Rican to ever go to law school or in a, in a predominantly white or Caucasian institution, but how many people actually talked about the struggle that it was to go through that experience? How many people actually share the xenophobic comments? I, because the thing is that these are very hurtful situations. Sometimes they can be traumatic situations. And so, like I understand as a culture why we keep them to ourselves, why we try to suppress. Why we don't want to call attention because again, I repeat, so like why, why breathe negative things into the air? But the problem is that when you don't know your history or other people's history, or you don't know what's out there, you're, you're going to walk into the lion's den without knowing it. And that's what I'm trying to help to mitigate at this point, because it's too much. Like how many lions dens are we going to walk into? It's too much. Absolutely,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I could probably talk for days, probably write a book about my experience in Wisconsin. I mean, that was the one overt thing, but there was just so many, it was just a culture shock, right? It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, and even having been to the University of Florida and having a master's degree under my belt and having talked about diversity and having, you know, all these experiences around race and gender and talking about sexual orientation, I still feel like I was not prepared to go to law school in the Midwest. Um, you know, so sometimes, I mean, that's life though, you know, you need to, um, sometimes experience things to learn, but we can also make things easier for ourselves. So Yvette, I'm going to transition here, um, in terms of, you know, what you were talking about before about your experience. And I'd love to know, what was the catalyst? So what really made you go from working at Univision being extremely successful to deciding, you know what? I am going to go on this path and I am going to help Latinas grow in their careers um, so we can make it easier because at this point right now, and we can talk about this later too, you know, we're just not progressing at the same level as maybe other communities are in terms of wages, in terms of just, you know, looking at income inequality, right? So what was the catalyst? What really made you make that, that transition?
1: Well, the turning point is going to be a simple statement, but it's going to be loaded and heavy. So (laughs) (laughs) here we go. Uh, Yeah. The catalyst for why I decided to leave my corporate job for good, like to leave my corporate life for good to start a business was when I found out that a man with only one level above me, so not apples to apples uh, comparison, but one level above me was making a hundred thousand dollars more. Oh, wow. And I found this out while I was in the process of being promoted and negotiating that promotion, negotiating a higher salary. And what I was trying to negotiate was the standard 20% increase standard because that's not what was originally offered, but that's where I was trying to get. Mm -hmm. And when the negotiations weren't going my way, I did some research, tried to do some digging, started asking around to see what other people were making because that's how, by the way, that's how you're able to make you know, boss negotiations is when you know what the market is and you know what other people are making. So in doing my, my digging, it was revealed to me, it was surfaced to me that some dude was making a hundred grand more. And so I'm thinking, well, if that's what I should be working towards. And if I'm supposed to be promoted in two years, three years, four years from now, and I should technically be making that much money, that's about a 50% plus increase if y'all won't even give me the 20 how am I gonna think you're gonna give me the 50 plus right it ain't happening like it was me doing that kind of math and I say that with a straight face now and and, you know we're all good and I have my 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 company and and we're working but it was demoralizing it was traumatizing I don't think I've ever cried so much period. And I've, 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 I've I've suffered loss. I've had my father pass away. Like I've gone through something. And that was so shocking to me. And so out of left field, I was not expecting it because not, not just, I mean, throughout my entire career, but specifically at this one company, I had been told you're being groomed to be a leader. We really um, value you. You are the future of this company. We want you to be here for a long time. We're investing you. So I'm invited to all of the leadership trainings. I'm invited to do all of the the to take on more responsibilities. I'm invited to the cool projects that add to the to do list, but I'm not valued enough to get paid for it. All right, there's a disconnect here.
0: Yeah.
1: And then Wait. you know you start analyzing. All right, or at least I did. I started. I started analyzing, well, how did this happen? Because on paper, similar credentials, similar responsibilities. I have actually can show more success. And this is not a comparison game, but like I can show potentially more successes than him, better results, stronger team um, retention. Like I've never had anybody quit on me. Literally nobody has ever resigned on me After eight years as a manager, I have proven to be a a strong leader that others like are being sent to learn from me, but you're not going to pay me for it. There's a problem. There's a problem. And the thing is, Latinas are, and I know this, like I knew always that statistically speaking, Latinas make significantly less money than everybody else in, in this country. We are the least paid group. It used to be that we made about 50 to 57 cents on the white man's dollar. So that's about half. We would make about half uh, less than, than white men. We now after the pandemic are making even less than that. Like our numbers are even getting worse. So no, there's gotta, there's gotta be a change. But the first change is we have to acknowledge that th- this problem exists. We are not getting paid. We're doing more. We are sacrificing more. We are like the face of what it is to be a good employee because we have a very strong work ethic, but we're not getting paid for it. And we have to, we have to know that.
0: Absolutely. So that was yeah. the catalyst. So that was the catalyst. Did you ever speak with any of your uh, superiors about what you had found out and, and tried to negotiate harder by any means? Or did you, did you, what did you, like when you found this out, I mean, it sounds like you... You left, but was there any further discussion?
1: Oh, there was a lot of discussion, but let me paint a picture. This conversation or this promotion came about uh, end of January, beginning of February 2020. That's important for context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I might have decided I'm out. I'm leaving. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm going to immediately, I signed up for like an entrepreneurship. Of course that that was really what I needed to start me. I had already been thinking about making moves in my career, or doing something on my own, but that really was the straw that broke the camel's back. But you know, I can make all the plans in the world, but a month and a half later, the pandemic hit, and so no, that changed things for me, right? Like not knowing now we're working from home, not knowing what the future of anything looks like, not knowing if does it make sense for me now to like leave something that's stable and secure something that I I don't even know what I'm going to create so I stuck around for for a while Uh, uh, so I stuck around for a while however now fast forward now it's summer of 2020 now we're in the thick of Black Lives Matter now we're in the thick of DEI being a topic of conversation now all of a sudden leadership cares about diversity and inclusion and being welcoming and, and all of this stuff right so I um, saw an opportunity, I saw an opening at the company uh, because I was all invited again to all these like leadership conversations. Now all of a sudden I'm in the DEI task force and invited by senior leadership. Like everybody is a president, an SVP, head of whatever big department, and then there's little me. So I'm important enough to be in these conversations, but I'm important enough to pay, well no, I mentioned it. So in a meeting in front of the president of sales in front of the president of digital of a big these are it's a big media company in front of all these people i said well d dei is not just black lives matter dei encompasses a lot of things and the gender pay gap is part of that Oof, and in this yes. com- in this company mm-hmm. and in this company There is an issue with the gender pay gap because it wasn't just my story, by the way. Like I knew my story, but I knew of so many others. Because I was a manager, because I had access to people's salaries, because I had access to a lot of confidential privileged information, I knew for a fact that people with the women, that the women were underpaid. I knew that on top of the anecdotal stuff that people share, you know, in the bathroom. Like I had, I knew facts, so yeah, I. I talked about it. I, I mentioned it. I helped to, um, I mean, I can't say that's not because I don't work there. But like, <laughs> then there was a whole survey. There was a whole survey. They wanted to see what company, they want to take the polls on like the, how the company is feeling about DEI. Myself and, 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 and another colleague of mine, we recruited a bunch of women, like more than 50 women to write in this survey that we wanted to see a compensation policy uh, review we wanted hr to conduct a compensation policy review and to like actually analyze what the women are making versus the men so i made noise i made noise but i was also very clear if this doesn't get fixed i'm leaving yeah and i and i and i brought it up to everybody who i needed to speak to i will say this my boss was incredibly supportive incredibly supportive when i when i ta- when i said that dei also includes gender Pay disparities I told her by the way you might get a call some people might be mad I said this in front of so-and-so just to like so you're not caught off guard and she responded saying good for you take this up to wherever you want to take it and I have your back oh so I had support yeah I had she was a woman she was she was probably going through something, you know, like we were, we all were, we all were. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, long story, I saw that, you know, change wasn't coming fast enough. I had, I had conversations with HR, I had conversations with the somebody um, in the compensation team. I was very transparent, not just about my story, but like, I know this is happening in certain departments, this needs to be looked into. um, And if it doesn't get resolved, I'm leaving. And that was not an empty threat. So when I saw that things weren't happening fast enough, I saved my money, I had a bonus coming in. I waited it out. The day that the bonus paid out, two weeks later, I re- resigned. I Different. resigned, and my the, the 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 woman who was my number two on my team, she resigned on the same day for the same reason, and she now has her own company too. Oh! She started her own business as well. Yeah, I
0: love it. I love it. I kind of wonder how much of this is happening just across the board, because I feel like I also had a similar experience as well. Um, so it's, I feel like, you know, companies are, are really trying to make a difference and they have these task forces and they have these groups, right? But it's like, do they really care? Or is this no, just so something in name, you know? So, and I think a lot of us, you know, especially those of us that are highly educated, you know, we came from, I have to say, like, my time at the University of Florida was one of the best times of my life. I really feel like I grew as a person exponentially. And so I just had these, I was like, the base is really incorporating inclusion. The base is thinking about privilege and how it affects us. That, like, that was like, this is common knowledge. It's everywhere. And now, especially politically, I'm seeing like, oh, like this is not everywhere. And this is not the base. And actually, I, you know, I, I just realized how grateful you know, I am at this point to have experienced that, but then it, I also realize, and there's a certain weight in this. But I'm gonna try and just keep it light. But like, we are the ones now that need to step up because we have this knowledge. It's kind of like with this knowledge, you know, there, you know, there's great responsibility, right? And so, anywho, I just, I when you're a lot of this, what you're saying right now is resonating with me. I'm, I, I'm just curious, and this is more so, you know, given that we're both Latinas. If you feel like the gender pay gap, do you feel like maybe it's worse um, in Latinx organizations? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes, I was gonna I was gonna say it. so so again I, I feel like my point of view is very unique in that I don't I my experience I, I don't I don't I don't experience the juxtaposition so much between a Caucasian company or caucasian leadership or caucasian peers or colleagues making more than me like i don't have that that tension between caucasian and people of color what i know is people of color and mm-hmm. i know that within our own culture within our own organizations machismo still runs rampant yep. and machismo doesn't just mean that we're against the men women have machista mentalities as sure. well yes Yes. The, differ, the, the difference the that we offer to men socially, uh, romantically, at home, and at work. Oh my God, is critical.
0: That's why we're. Critical. That's why we're
1: always meant to connect things like this. <laughs> yes, you get totally, it. Totally, totally, totally. So it's not just on us to speak up against it, but it's on us to look at ourselves. You know, Latina managers need Latino men managers. They need to check themselves. So what I think is happening, especially when it comes to Latinas, is that, again, we're just so groomed to be so grateful for everything all the time. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for giving me the job. Thank you for giving me more work so that I can prove myself so that I can continue working harder. Like that type of mentality keeps you so exhausted that you're not even looking at the bigger picture you're not worrying about what everybody else is making you're not really worried about the facts because you're just so busy being in survival mode but it's our responsibility to know well wait a second like how much am I actually being valued versus how much am I being exploited but nobody really wants to have that conversation because it's hard to accept that in yourself that oh. you may be setting yourself up to be exploited by your own people and I don't necessarily think that you know we're out to we're we're out to against each other. I don't think it's like that. I don't think that any but none of this is personal. I don't think anybody was like singling me out. Let's let like, let's not pay her like I don't think that's what happened. Mm-hmm. But when you are in this space and this container, when the status quo is. The women do all of the planning. The women do all of the taking notes. The women do all of the, the, the scheduling the meeting. The women take care of setting up the tables and the chairs and the everything at the meeting. The women take care of the baby showers, the happy hours, the bridal showers, the birthdays, the pizza parts. The women take care of everything. All the, all the men need to do is to show up to the meeting, sit at the head of the table, and sound brilliant. <laughs> that sh- <laughs> incorporate Oh my gosh! Oh, I kind of want
0: to cry. Um, it's just it's so so ridiculous. Yes, and we are so and and
1: under, and and under the guise. Let's not forget under the guise of this is a. And I put this in her quotes. Where this is a family. We are a, a family environment. You are safer here. It makes more sense for you to work amongst your own people because we know each other. We look after each other. We care about each other. Yeah, but we don't pay each other.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, Yvette. So, you know, one of the things that's really resonating with me right now, which you said specifically is, so I've always identified, you know, very much with, you know, being a feminist, being a woman of color um, and being around other strong women of color and uh you know in my one of my most recent professional experiences i won't go too much into detail but it was those specific a group of women of color that i entrusted so much that then wound up exploiting me and it wound up being just a very traumatic and difficult situation and it's just interesting to me because i feel like that that in and of itself can be so, so traumatic because it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm putting all my eggs here because these are the people that are looking out for me. This is culturally, you know, where it's at. And it's actually like, you have to always, first of all, look out for yourself, but you have to really take the time always, no matter what, no matter how busy you are, to kind of reflect, take a step back and examine the situation and say, okay, mm-hmm. Am I really getting paid equally? Am I really getting the opportunities that that I'm being told that, you know, I'm, I'm potentially going to be given, et cetera. And always take that step back. Does this align with me? Does this feel right in my guts? And if it does not, then moving on. And I think that happens, unfortunately, because, you know, we are, we're put into these cultural subsets, right? It's like, you know, the Latinos are over here and the black people are over here and the white people are over here and the Asian American people are over here. And it's just, there's so... There's so much more to it than that. And I feel like this was just a really beautiful growing experience for me um, because I was given the opportunity to see like, really, I don't think anyone is out to get anyone like you were saying, Mm -hmm. right? I don't think that's Mm -hmm. the purpose, but you have to have, first of all, that relationship with yourself where you can have those honest conversations, but also the importance of mentorship, right? And the importance Mm -hmm. of having that was one or two people that can help you that you can truly, truly trust. And so that's why I think it's so important um, specifically what you're doing. Um, Switching a little bit over, talking about feminism, um, and, and you mentioned this too, and this is essentially just kind of going off of our conversation right now. Sometimes women in particular, right, can be the ones that hold these archaic structures even more so than men right mm-hmm. what do you think what do we do to break those barriers what do we do to help other women realize that they are holding up in some senses the patriarchy
1: i think we need to be honest with each other and check it so from a, from you know within the constant the constant within the context of a corporate setting of, of in a, on a team, I'll speak from, from experience. I was always very, very transparent with my team. Again, the majority of my teams were, all of my teams were always at least, at least 90% Latinos. Every team I ever managed. Mm -hmm. The majority of the people were always Latinos. The majority were always women. And I was always very, forthcoming. And, and, and I would share not just my experiences, but the learnings, but also the bad stuff like this happened to me because I thought this way, because I was trained to think this way. And I know that you were too. So I want you to know this is the real story. You can't be listening, you can't be taking advice from your mom who has never done what you're doing. You cannot be taking advice from your prima who has never done what you're doing because they're giving you outdated advice. The council is no longer relevant in this sphere. And I think we really need to be honest with ourselves and with each other, like I said, about what the reality is. So when I did find out that I was um, underpaid significantly, to be honest, I couldn't hide it. Like I couldn't, it was so raw for me, Lola. It was so raw for me. I mean, I was in the office at the spontaneously crying at the coffee machine. I would be going like, to the restroom and i would just start spontaneously crying in the stall like i tried to to keep it together but i just felt so like i said shocked but also like damn yo my my own people did this to me like it was so it was so demoralizing and it hurt me in such a, a, a raw way that i couldn't hide myself so when my somebody on my team asked me qué <laughs> like, this pasa?" Is- <laughs> that means hey what's what's going on what, what's you know what's going on with you yeah what's going on this is so not like you like you're not a really emotional person like this are you going through something can I help and I had and I was like Yvette this is this is your moment of truth are you with them as in are you with the people who did this to you are you going to save face for the people who did this to you or are you going to be are you going to be here for your community and give the real Woo! Like, yeah. yeah like that that was a moment of an inflection for me. And I was like, no, I got to tell her what happened. And I told her, this is what happened. You know, I'm up I'm a proud promotion. This is, the, you know, I, I'm negotiating this. You should negotiate. This is what I learned. By the way, this is what so-and-so is making. By the way, by the way, I learned everybody else is having a bonus. I didn't know I didn't have a bonus. By the way, I learned this. By the way, I learned that. And I gave her all the information. I was like, you need to know this. Like, I'm so glad that I went through this so that And now you can know, and you need to pass on the knowledge. And ultimately, to go back to your question, how can we disrupt it? We have to pass on the knowledge, but feel the responsibility to feel like you have to be contributing to the betterment of all of us. I run a a group coaching program. It's called career therapy. It's seven weeks. At the end of the program, on graduation day, I tell all of the women that joined that program, You went through this, you have all of the knowledge, now it's your responsibility to pass it on. Technically, I shouldn't be telling people, I have a a service that I need you to pay for so that you have access to this information. A smarter business person would think that way, but I'm thinking, no, like I'm not harboring this information, I'm passing it on to those who wanna take it and those who wanna take it now have the responsibility to be the ambassador of the information and trickle it down. And that's really how we're gonna be able to disrupt the system with, with knowledge.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's beautiful. And ultimately that's what business is Yvette, you know, like we, it would be very egocentric to say like, I'm gonna harbor this, you know, it, like mm-hmm. these ideas are floating everywhere, right? And so I think the, the aligned thing to do would be just to let it flow because it is gonna flow. And by doing that, you're in resonance more so with yourself. So I think that's beautiful. Um, All right. So I think this kind of goes into what you were just talking about in terms of acknowledging it, right? That these, these gaps exist and sharing that information. What do you think it's going to take to close the wage gap for good for women, for women of color, for Latinx women, what, what is it going to take to really do that? Because one of the things that I'm talking about in this podcast and that I want to highlight is focusing on the world that we want. And that is ultimately attracting that and creating that. Because I think a lot of us, when we're in this advocacy space, even, you know, this corporate advocacy space, even that you're in, you know, specifically, even there, you know, this, harbor, this feeling of like, oh, uh, things are not good. Things are not good. I'm, I'm not happy. Things are bad. It just kind of perpetuates the focuses on the bad, right? And so one of the things that I'm trying to highlight and work on is like, how do we focus on the good so that we are okay, so that we are healthy, so that we are happy human beings, right? So what is it going to take? What, what do we need to
1: do? What does that world look like? And how do we get there? So I think that there's a few things here. From a systemic perspective, there is some change that is happening, maybe not fast enough, but some change is happening and people need to leverage that. So transparency would be key from a a salary perspective. Companies sharing outright in a job description, this is a salary range that you should be expecting versus asking the candidate to share their salary expectations. So just knowing what one can be looking forward to just helps the interview job application process go smoother and that way people can actually make what they deserve, what it is actually budgeted for, and not necessarily what they don't negotiate for. So that's one thing. The other thing is also from a systemic place is knowing what are the laws and what are like the compliance issues that make sense or, or that are, are happening in your in your local or in your state government. Right. So in New York City, for example, salary uh transparency it, not not salary transparency um when people interview recruiters are legally not allowed to ask what was your previous salary so like you're you're coming into things from like a fresh perspective what well, basically what was yesterday's price what was yesterday's price is not today's price but people need to know that you have to be aware of what are the changes that are happening and how they can affect you in the positive. Do not get stuck thinking that the status quo or what you're used to is still the same because there's some information that you're, or money that you're leaving on the table by not becoming informed. So companies, governments, advocacy groups are making changes. Cool. Now, the bigger thing though, is the personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think, Truly, we're going to see a change in the in the in the wage gap if women, but specifically Latina women start to trust themselves more. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? The number I think that the main reason that we have such a wage gap is not even because companies are underpaying us. It's that we ourselves are too scared to negotiate, are too scared to push back. We're too scared to even ask other people what they're making so that we can make better uh, educated or make better negotiations. To be frank, Lola, it's so disheartening for me to say, but I gotta say it, so maybe we get uh, like, uh, a reaction. But at the core, what is holding Latinas back at work, is fear of everything. Mm-hmm. Fear of speaking up, fear of saying too much, fear of saying too little, fear of asking the questions, fear of looking ungrateful, fear of um, rocking the boat, fear all around. And that can tr- when you have that much fear, you're not gonna negotiate. You're not gonna push back. You're not gonna push for more. You're not gonna do those things. So I think that once <laughs> we get a handle with on ourselves and understand that we ourselves are blocking ourselves because we block our own voices, I think that that'll help open doors, but you know, that means that people need to go to therapy. And that's a whole other conversation that people don't want to have. I think that if more people may- went to therapy, they'd make more money. Yeah. To me, so that's I, a direct correlation. I agree with you completely. Uh, you know, I think fear
0: is something that exists, you know, definitely with Latina women, but just in, in, in a broader context, I think we all battle with fear on some level.
1: But, but to, the reason for why I say that is because I hear it so much. I hear so much, these narratives of, because it, it, it starts off early in your career, right? So let me take a step back. The narrative is, uh, a scenario is when somebody who has maybe one, two, three years of work experience and now they're, they are applying to a new role and they get the role and they get the job offer and their family, their family, their parents, their grandparents, their siblings tell them, oh, no, 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 but don't negotiate because they'll take it away. Like, that's not true. No, no, no. Don't ask for more. You should be so happy. You should be so grateful. That's such a great company. Are you kidding? Like, you're so lucky that they are even that they even looked at your resume. You're so lucky that they offered you the job. You should be grateful. Like, that narrative, that rhetoric is deeply rooted in the culture, in the conversations, in the mindset. And that's just from the beginning. So if you, from the beginning, are not creating habits of negotiating, of researching, of knowing your worth, that just... Um, compounds itself throughout your career. And mm-hmm. where you start off with financially, it sets the tone for where totally. you snowball it to. Yeah. So fear, it, it's like not listening to the right people because fear is keeping you stagnant.
0: Yeah. I think another thing to, that I want to add to what you're saying um, is I think one of, the, one of the reasons why fear it's, it's so big um, in the workforce in particular is, you know, laws are not set up to help the little guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you think of employment being at will, what does that really mm-hmm. mean, right? That means that you can be let go for any reason at any time. They could just not like that you spoke up at that meeting. They're like, Yvette's causing a little too much rough we're going to let her go. And it's like, it could be literally that, you know, I mean, the fact that you were talking about, you know, the gender gap, I mean, I think you probably would have some kind of claim there, but what I'm getting at is, I mean, you know, it could be, it could be like, literally like this person's just getting, I don't know, they're, they're not, they're not aligning with the culture anymore or whatever it is. Right. So the one thing that I want to say though, about this, and this is something that I am, thinking about a lot these days, is that no matter what happens, if you are in alignment with yourself, you will find your way. And the most important thing at the end of the day, and this comes from Brené Brown, and I know you like Brené Brown too, um, is belonging to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you, at the end of the day, if you belong to yourself, you're going to find your way, whether it's being an entrepreneur, whether it's finding another position, whether it's et cetera. So really at the end of the day, you will find your way, period, end of story. And there really isn't anything to fear. And I think underneath that fear, what I am hearing and what I'm feeling and what I'm sensing and what's coming up for me right now is that there is this sense of unworthiness Because it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, if these people don't want me, oh, my God, oh, my God, if if I I lose my job or what if they demote me or if et cetera, et cetera, then it's like, oh, you know, then I'm going to be valueless, right? Because other people are not buying into me. And that is just so false because your value is not based on other people's opinions. Your value is not based on this company. Your value is not based on placed on the, you know. Uh, made by these board members it, it really doesn't matter so anywho I just that was just kind of a, a, a thought that I had that you know fear but it's also the sense of worthiness and I think it when we're talking about Latinas in particular it's just knowing you are worthy period so that's what came up for yeah. me yeah
1: well, actually, I wanna I wanna add to that, and to also like maybe bring it back to the beginning of the conversation. So when you ask me where I'm from and the foundation, let's go back to that. When you grow up in neighborhoods where everybody around you is in survival mode, everybody, like everybody, talks about estoy yes. en la lucha, like I'm struggling. Uh, it's all about the bills. The conversations they all have to do with how expensive everything is, how rent is going up. Everything, everything, everything is all about scarcity, lack, unworthiness. Right. So when you have when you are brought up with that kind of mentality and you bring that then into the workplace, still working off of the survival mode, discounting, by the way, for those of us who are of this generation, discounting that your experience because you went to school, you have an education, you may have a master's, you've been uh, exposed to different circles, different from your parents, different from your grandparents you're discounting all the things that you have in your favor and yet you're still leaning into the survival mode Mm -hmm. and that survival mode is what makes you think all of these things if i don't do this i won't i won't get promoted or i'll get demoted or i'll get fired or whatever so that's all survival thinking Mm -hmm. and that survival thinking keeps you overworked overburdened tired you're not thinking straight you're just trying to get through the day's so that you can get to the next day, you don't really give yourself the time to analyze all of the things that you do bring to the table, the results that you have to prove that you're worthy of a promotion, that you can ask for more money because you are bringing in more money. We're not allowing ourselves the opportunity to have this thoughtful analysis so that we can get to know ourselves. I personally, I say this all the time, I don't think that the most successful people Are is because of who they know or what they know. Successful people are because they're self-aware. And that goes back to what you're saying. When you are in alignment with yourself, when you know yourself, that makes you successful because that makes you confident. And sometimes that makes you fearless. And you need to be confident and you need to be fearless so that you can advocate for yourself, so that you can demand your worth, but you need to know what your worth is. Right. You need to like do the homework, take stock, make a list, spend 30 day 30 minutes to yourself and, and go back, you know, rewind the tape of your life. What are all of the things that I've accomplished? And some of them have nothing to do with your career, but even getting into college when nobody else around you was, that's an accomplishment. Knowing how to uh, uh, fill out the, the scholarship applications, the FAFSA application, all of these things like. We have so much that we've been proving from such a young age that we are responsible, that we are resourceful, that we're smart, that that we're able to connect dots. And yet we just always succumb to the lowest lowest common denominator of my value comes from my productivity and how much of it I can offer. Yeah. That's a trap. It is a trap. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: We have inherent value within us, all of us, every mm-hmm. single one of us. Yvette, that's so beautiful. And it's funny that you call this uh, like uh, your, your seminar career therapy because this conversation has felt therapeutic and beautiful. So thank <laughs> you. Uh, it's so important that we have these conversations and that uh, specifically in, in, in regards to this conversation that Latinas are hearing this conversation, right? It's really important because it is okay to stand up in your truth. So thank you for, for being you. You are a light. Oh my
1: God. Likewise, (laughs) likewise.
0: All right. So um, I think two last questions before I let you go, Yvette. Um, The first one is we talked about taking the 30 minutes, right? You were talking about taking the 30 minutes and reevaluating and again, taking that time, whether it's to meditate. Um, I've been getting into breath work lately. I don't know if you've ever tried breath work. I love it. It's another form of therapy. Um, but what do you do, um, to take care of yourself? What have you done in the past when you were working in the corporate sectors even now? Because I know a lot of times people, um, can make assumptions about being an entrepreneur, but oftentimes being an entrepreneur means you're working more hours. Um, so what do you do to take care of yourself?
1: Well, when I was working in the corporate world, uh, to be frank, I didn't do too much to take care of myself. In retrospect, uh, it was probably like not, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was, enti- it was I, I engaged in some destructive behavior, I would say. And I'll be honest about that because mm-hmm. there's so much stress, so much stuff. Like, girl, I was a happy hour every Friday and drinking, and like, <laughs> escaping, escaping is what I was doing. Escaping, well, something I always did and I, and I tell everybody that they should do this is go to therapy. So that has always been a, a priority for me. Um, so that I did while I was corporate. However, as an entrepreneur, let me tell you something. I stopped working in, for somebody else in June, last June. Mm-hmm. Without even trying, Lola, without even trying between two to three months, I melted like 15 pounds, melted. And I didn't really do anything drastically different. What was different was my stress and anxiety levels. And I, th- and I share that because I think people need to know that we hold so much stress and anxiety in us, in our bodies. And it doesn't matter how many times a week you work out. It doesn't matter what you eat. Those things are one factor. Like how you hold and, 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 and deal with your stress has a lot to do with your health. So what I started doing immediately after I started working for myself are the things that I never had the time to do before, which is I started going to Pilates. Which I do three times a week, and I'm addicted, and that comes first. <laughs> that, comes, that comes first in the calendar. I schedule it first, like the week leading into the week. I schedule that first. I still go to therapy. I'm very mindful about what I eat, but when I'm craving the McDonald's burger, I'm gonna eat the McDonald's burger because I don't believe in sacrifice any. Like, I feel like I sacrifice so much time, so much of my time, I sacrifice so much of myself. For a career that ultimately did not pay me back, that I'm not sacrificing anything for anybody Ooh, anymore.
0: Yes. Oh, I love that so, so much.
1: And I just feel like the most mentally, emotionally, physically healthy that I probably have ever felt in my entire adult life because I put myself first every decision I make, I put myself first, what are my priorities in this season? Are my priorities professional or are my priorities personal? And that's permission that I never gave myself before. So now I just, you know, that's how I take care of myself. Yes, I take care of my body through Pilates. I do breath work. I think breath work is actually uh, key to healthy living. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely have gotten into it. But at the center of everything is what makes Yvette feel better? What makes Yvette feel best? And what makes that the most important person in this room? Yes. Yes. And Am I working more? No, to be honest, I'm not because I, I could, there are some times that I do, but I do it because I want to, because I like the work that I'm doing and it, and it motivates me to work more, but I also check myself. The whole point of this was not to be dragging myself the way that I did in my corporate career. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this can't look like that. Because mm-hmm. then this, like, what are we doing? We're wasting our time. This can't look like that. So I have that top of mind as well.
0: Mm, yeah. Oh, so many things I'm thinking about right now as you as you mentioned this. Um, one thing that, that you just said that also highlighted it in my mind was a lot of times we think, to make something worthy, to say that something is okay to do, we have to show the struggle behind it, right? We have to show that it's hard, but no, right? Like being an entrepreneur, for example, if anything, it should be easy. If anything, life should be easy and we should be making um, our lives and the lives of those that are coming behind us and those that are came before us you know, as easy as possible. We are just inherently worthy human beings. And so I love that you said that. Um, And, you know, it's funny, you mentioned Yvette comes first. Uh, My best friend, Linda, who we've been best friends since probably high school, I would say, but we've known each other since fifth grade. But, um, you know, her her mother uh, was like a second mother to me growing up. And she used to always say, um, Linda or Lola, Lola Primero, Lola Segundo. So basically Lola First, Lola Second, Lola Third, Lola Fourth, Lola Fifth, right? Um, And it's funny because, you know, when you're a teenager, you're not really like you kind of hear it, but you don't really hear it. And now that I'm, you know, a 30 something year old getting closer to 40, which is just wild. Mm -hmm. um, It's like, it just makes so much more sense now, right? And Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, taking care of ourselves is, is super, super important. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Um, but, to, but, to, but, to, but I want to ask for a second on that. Again, the cultural stuff. I, I say that and I want people to really hear that, especially women, especially Latinas, because when you're groomed to think everybody else comes first, when you're groomed to feel guilty about prioritizing yourself, when you're groomed to think, oh, you can't really, you're not, your needs are not important until everything else has already been tackled. Your needs need to come last. When you are conditioned to feel that way, Mm -hmm. that's where, you know, the fear comes in. Just a fear of putting yourself first, of investing in yourself, of like booking a massage. There's fear even in that. So I want others to feel permission to like, you know, you could say no to everybody else and you could say yes to you first and the world keeps turning. Yeah. Because let me tell you, I I laughed a whole job a whole <laughs> team. that team that team that I left and the team succ- succumbed like they all left and my old boss is still keeping tabs on me she still tries to connect with me and when i and I'm, I caught up with her about a month ago mm-hmm. she told me how like impactful this work my work has even been on her she's like you left me high and dry and, and I'm so happy Like, I respect everything that you're doing. So when you're truly in alignment and you put yourself first, those that matter, they're going to still be there.
0: Right. That's so true. Yep.
1: Um,
0: All right. So last question for you, Yvette. um, And you may have already said it. I'm not sure. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you had one piece of advice for entry-level Latinas in the workforce, what would that piece of advice be? And would that be different than a piece of advice you would give to mid-career Latinas? Um,
1: so what I would tell somebody coming in new, entry-level Latinas, two things. Meet as many people as possible and treat every sort of meeting, not as a meeting, but as an informational go out of your way you you entered a new a new company a new organization go out of your way to introduce yourself to people send them emails and i don't just mean people in your peer circle i mean reach out to the ceo reach out to the c-suite reach out to whoever it is that you feel like you can learn from and that they can impart wisdom on you as and i and i say to do that early in your career because you're so excited and you're so motivated and people want to help you they like people like to feel like they are contributing and mentoring the younger generation and so use that to your advantage reach out to people I knew somebody who was an intern who reached out and emailed the CMO and she got a meeting with the CMO and then eventually got mentorship from the CMO. And now the CMO knows who this intern is mm-hmm. when she doesn't even know who middle middle management is. She knows who this intern is. So I think use your, use your inexperience to your advantage. And on that note, ask all the questions. No question is a dumb question in any meeting. I always say this, la loca. you just showed up at crazy. It's okay. <laughs> you, you get about, you get about a six, four to six week window where you're new. And so nobody expects you to know everything. Nobody expects you to have institutional knowledge. Nobody expects you to come up with every solution. So now is your time to be bold and to like say far out things, but, but make your presence known, like be known as, a, as somebody who is fearless, who is bold, who puts themselves out there because people like that are on everybody's radar and for good reason. But that, that's actual advice that I would give to somebody in middle management as well. If you're yeah. new at a company, if you're new somewhere, use that four to six week window to really put yourself out there instead of, because the thing is, some people think to themselves, no, I'm just going to take a step back. Let me retain as much information as possible. I'm just going to be more of an observer because I don't know what's going on. But I think that's actually not, not as helpful. I think that you can really make your presence known when you have the benefit of not having the knowledge to your advantage.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Um, well, thank you again Yvette for taking the time to, to really chat with me about these issues. I feel like we could have talked, there were so many times where you said things and I was like, oh my God, I wanna ask about this. <laughs> or, I feel like we could have this conversation for hours. Um, if you could please let people know where they can find you and also uh, where they can potentially get some amazing Clearly, coaching from you.
1: Yes. So I invite everybody to go on Instagram and find me at Our Wild Success, O U R W I L D S U C C E S S, Our Wild Success. And that's really my calling card. So, all of the so much content, so many resources that I put out for everybody within the realm of, of this conversation. And that's um, where you can reach out to me or email is evet yve. TE at our, our wall success so I'm I'm coaching I'm really trying to help everybody get paid work smarter instead of harder I want you to work smarter and to enjoy mm-hmm. your freedom enjoy having balance in your life enjoy living more than working that's really where where I'm going with with our world success
0: Oh, boy. I see it just taking off and being amazing and being such a resource. And you are a huge reason we're going to see the page, the the wage gap continue to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So thank you, Yvette, for everything that you do. Um, All right. Well, sending you so much love. And thanks, everyone, for listening today. Uh, Go follow Yvette when you have a moment. And thanks so much. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know, I'm technically an attorney and forever advocate that does speaking engagements and coaching when not podcasting and being a mama to my amazing daughters. Nothing in my podcast, however, is ever to be construed as legal advice. These are for educational and enjoyment purposes only. Anywho, if you'd like to follow me in real time or sign up for public speaking coaching, you can follow me on Instagram at Lola Sophia Bovell. That's L-O-L-A-S-O-P-H-I-A, B as in boy, O-V as in Victor, E-L-L. Thanks and have a great day. See you next time.